Queers Did That, a queer history podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. I'm Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you today? Mm, okay. Just okay? You know why. I do know why. <laughs> but you built your computer, so that was good. Yeah, that was good. It's getting, getting close to getting things settled. Yeah, another room in the house getting there. <laughs> Just... In time for your... I don't know where I was going with that. That's fine. I'm I'm distracted by how terrible I think the Eagles are going to do tonight. Yeah, but the good thing is we don't have to watch all of it if we don't want to. It's true. I'll probably be editing this podcast. There you go. Yeah. So, I know last episode I was talking about Don't Ask to Don't Tell and kind of want to do a continuation on that, but... As time went on in between recording that one and recording this one, I have a lot of stream of conscious thought process, <laughs> and I really want to go back to ACT UP. I know we talked about them in terms of protesting Philip Morris in the early 90s, mm-hmm. but we haven't covered its inception and kind of the activism that it did throughout the 80s and the AIDS crisis, and I think you need that as a foundation before you even talk about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or even what's going on now in the Supreme Court and protests outside of the Supreme Court and like the symbolism that's there and basically kind of the roots of it. Hmm. So I kind of wanted to go back, and that, that was my thought process, at okay. least. Um, I do want to go back Back to, to 1999. Sorry, go. You yeah. kept saying it, and it was in my head. No, that's fair. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's fine. I mean, that is, yes, I would like to go to that, because <laughs> that's when Don't Ask Hotel was. <laughs> See, I did it. Oh. Um, so clever. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I switched it up and wanted to kind of do a quick overview of ACT UP. This is a very, you know, large organization over decades of activism i'm going to focus more on stuff that happened in the 80s and very like few there's few like famous ones they did a lot more than what i'm going to be talking about but it's if you want to learn more about act up i recommend you do research outside of this like everything else we talk about because i'm not going to be going super super deep into it and it's really just going to be kind of scratching the surface, but it's a very like very rich organization with lots of history. And doing a short podcast episode isn't going to do it justice, but it'll be a good introduction. You're just going to do the Cliff's Notes. That's yeah. all. That's, that's a little do... yeah. Act up for dummies. Well, I mean, I guess we are kind of the Cliff Notes of of queer history, kind of. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just touch on things and just talk about stuff, you know. Yes, we do talk about stuff. And things. And things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Do you know what ACT UP stands for? <sighs> a charitable thought up. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> it is AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Oh, that makes more sense. It does make more sense, yes. It is an international grassroots political group that is working to end the AIDS pandemic. It works with people living with AIDS through direct action, medical research, advocacy, 
and working to change legislation and public policies. ACT UP was formed in March of 1987 hmm. as the Lesbian and Gay Community Service Centers in New York City. Larry Kramer was asked to speak as a part of a rotating series, and he had a speech, obviously, about fighting AIDS. And he spoke out against the state of the gay men's health crisis, he, which is an organization that was also... Oh, not like the gay men's health crisis. Like No, this was like an organization that was working to combat the AIDS crisis. Mm. Kramer had co-founded this, but resigned from its board directors in 1983. And But during the speech, he posed to the audience, quote, do we want to start a new organization devoted to political action? And the answer was a resounding yes, obviously. <laughs> yes. And approximately 300 people met two days later to form ACT UP. Oh, there you go. So this is 1987. So one of the first protests that ACT UP did was on Wall Street because they were demanding greater access to AIDS drugs. And you had, like, this medication, but kind of like how people have taken like insulin and gouge prices to be corporate greedy dickwads. Yes. This was obviously happening with these medicines. It was hard to see whether how effective they were, but at the same time they were so expensive and unobtainable. A year later, on March twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight, they returned to Wall Street for a larger demonstration which a hundred people were arrested. So it kind of commemorated oh. the Wall Street protest. I'm going to go a little bit out of order, I think. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Oh, okay. Changing it up. In April, on April 15th, 1987, ACT UP held their next action at the New York City General Post Office to an audience of people who were filing their tax returns at the last minute. Uh That's why April 15th. This also marked the beginning of using ACT UP using Silence Equals Death project, which consisted of a poster using the right side up pink triangle because the upside down pink triangle was used in, for gays and Nazis in concentration camps, but right. it was the upwards and on black background with text Silence Equals Death. And basically, it was very media savvy of them because you have all those news like news like fluff pieces about how people are filing their tax right. returns late yeah. especially in new york and like the new york post office it's going to be like a story but you got for you got free coverage mm-hmm. because there was already people there mm, so smart. that's kind of why they did that at first i was like why the post office and then i was like wait a minute that's genius it is genius. On September 14th, 1989, seven ACT UP members infiltrated the New York Stock Exchange and chained themselves to the VIP balcony to protest the high price of the only approved the only approved AIDS drug, oh AZT. The group displayed a banner at red set that read, Sell Welcome, referring to the pharmaceutical sponsor of AZT, Burris Welcome who set the price approximately at $10,000 per patient per year for the drug, which was basically well off reach. 
I love all HIV patients. Yeah. Because capitalism sucks, especially when it comes to medicine. <laughs> yes. Several days after this, Burr's Welcome lowered the price of AZT to 6400 oh, per patient fuck. per year. Yeah, I mean, obviously still terrible, but I mean, you yeah. had direct action and a direct result from that action less than a week later, which is yeah. pretty impressive. I'm surprised they even lowered it at all. Honestly, me too. <laughs> because, you know, capitals. So to keep jumping around, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> October of 1987 is when they act up New York made their debut on the national stage because it was the second national march on Washington for gay and lesbian rights. They had a presence at the march in the main rally. They also had a event where it was basically at the United States Supreme Court building the following day. Basically, you know, like just civil disobedience mm-hmm. to get. Uh, because of this, you had people return home to multiple cities to form up local ACT UP chapters. So that's when you have ACT UP Boston, ACT UP Chicago, Rhode Island, San Francisco, and other locations. Really? Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, okay. I was just, I wasn't going to list every city. <laughs> every, uh, go on, every city, every city. <laughs> okay, so, no. <laughs> and eventually internationally, but because of them being at the second annual march, and also sitting outside the Supreme Court, refusing to move, which we saw during the Supreme Court hearings a couple weeks ago, whether it's legal to fire people for sexual orientation and gender identity. You had lots of people sitting outside the Supreme Court, refusing to move. You had the triangles and silence equals death. And I forget how many people were arrested, but... It was one of those things where people talked about it more because you have a lot of people arrested. A decent amount. I would say dozens of people were arrested Mm -hmm. at that. So it's one of those things where this kind of has continued with our history and kind of this is when it started. On October, they're like super busy. 1988, (laughs) 1987. the amount of places they were able to target and how they were targeted effectively, I think. On October 11th, 1988, it had one of its most successful demonstrations, size and media coverage-wise, in front of the FDA, Mm -hmm. when they were able to successfully shut down the Food and Drug Administration for a day. And you have reports of it being the largest political demonstration since protests against the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. You had activists shutting down the facility by blocking doors, walkways, and a road as people were reporting to work. So people couldn't even get in. Mm -hmm. Police told people just to go home instead of trying to get through to go to work. Wow. And they were the active activists were chanting, hey, hey, FDA, how many people have you killed today? Oh, my. And they... Estimated the crowd between 1,100 and 1,500 people, which is really large. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Especially the FDA is in the D.C. area. (laughs) The FDA is in Maryland. It's in the D.C. metro area, but 
So having 50, I mean, this isn't New York or D.C. proper. I mean, yes, it's right outside D.C., but accessibility-wise, it's not, like, in front of the White House or Supreme Court. Right. So it's really impressive. Police officers wearing surgical gloves and helmets started rounding up hundreds of demonstrators and hurrying them onto buses shortly after 8.30. Some protesters blocked the buses from leaving for 20 minutes. Why were they wearing surgical gloves? Think about it. Really? Because they thought they were going to get contaminated with the with the HIV? Yeah. Oh my god. Alright. You had a lot of misinformation going on. This is, this is the late 80s. 1988. So you had you know people who would come in the hospital who were positive and you know if you were like a nurse or whatever you weren't allowed to like and this was just like I don't know across all hospitals but there's like stories like that there's right. so much inf- misinformation like misunderstanding because there wasn't research done and it wasn't done properly and things were held up and you had the president of the United States just letting thousands and thousands of people die without addressing it hmm. so you have you're like a decade behind in research and like understanding and obviously like the fear mongering behind it so yeah, it's not surprising that you had police officers wearing surgical gloves trying to round people up, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, they arrested at least 120 protesters, <laughs> but the demonstration leaders said they were aiming at 300 arrests by day's end. <laughs> Did they achieve it? I don't, no, they didn't. Aww. Which is really, really funny to me, <laughs> because it's like, oh, we didn't get enough arrests, which, you know, I totally understand and, like, agree with, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was like, not enough arrests. Because of this event and how successful it was, they they said over the next years, the next year, it, it definitely did something because you had government agencies like FDA and NIH actually like listening to people who were infected and people... NIH? National Institute of Health. Gotcha. I'm sorry, which is also in Maryland because I used to drive by that. <laughs> When I went to work. Gotcha. So they actually, like, started to pay attention and, like, actually include people who were infected in the conversation. Weird. Yes, it's, yes, you have to have a protest where you shut down the FDA for a day and have 150 people or or so arrested for them to do that, but they did it, (laughs) which is good, but... (laughs) It's always a but. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have to do that. But, you know, I think I'm going to go over... There's a bunch of stuff that's it's really amazing. <laughs> but there's... In January 1988, Cosmo magazine published an article by Robert E. Gold, who was a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. entitled, quote, Reassuring News About AIDS, A Doctor Tells You Why You May Not Be at Risk. Okay. Yeah. The basically, the, they were saying that in the article that unprotected sex between a man and a woman who both had quote healthy genitals, uh-huh. the risk of HIV transmission was negligible, <laughs> even if the male partner was infected. What? Yeah. Women from ACT UP who had been having informal quote dyke dinners 
<laughs> to meet with Dr. Gold in person, question him about very misleading facts, according to that, the specifically that you couldn't transfer AIDS from man to having heterosexual intercourse mm-hmm. if a man's infected. Kind of very, very incorrect. And they demanded a retraction and apology. He refused because, you know. So they decided, ACT UP decided they had to, quote, shut down Cosmo. <laughs> and this was one of the events that was a very, like, specifically and focused. You had, like, a lot of leadership being female and, like, female organized obviously. So the action consisted of approximately 150 activists protesting in front of the Hearst building, which is a parent company of Cosmo, mm-hmm. chanting say no to Cosmo, yeah. holding signs with slogans like yes, the Cosmo girl can get AIDS. <laughs> oh. The action didn't result in any arrests, but it brought significant television media attention to the controversy. Phil Donahue on Nightline um, had a local show called People Are Talking and hosted discussions on the article as well. You had two women take the stage but cut them off during an exchange about whether heterosexual women were at risk of AIDS. It was as a mess as you could think it would be. And, but eventually, Cosmo eventually issued a partial retraction of the contents of the article. Mm. Well, that's something at least yeah it's it's definitely something so possibly my (laughs) it's weird to have like a favorite political action but i'm also weird it's fine it's it seems correct for you yes but one of my favorite political actions and you'll soon understand why Mm -hmm. you had the cardinal of of New York City, mm-hmm. John Joseph o- O'Connor mm-hmm. took a public stand against safe sex education in New York City public schools, condom distribution, and obviously his views on homosexuality were terrible, as well as his being anti-choice, obviously. <laughs> yes. He was a Catholic cardinal, so during the AIDS crisis. Yeah. So this led to the first Stop the Church protest on December 10th, 1989 at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Nice. Like huge, like church, like staple of like the Catholic Church in New York City. Yeah, I remember my mom making me go there whenever we were in New York. She had to light a candle. Yes, well... So in December of 1989, approximately 4,500 protesters <laughs> mobilized by ACT UP and WHAM, which was another organization, not... Wake me up before you go, go. Don't keep saying because then we have to pay rights for it. I, isn't it like seven <laughs> seconds or something? I yeah. only got like... No, I think it's good. That's why I said just... Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to keep going. Yeah. So they all gathered. You had 4,500 people gathered outside a mass at the cathedral. The protesters were, they planned to interrupt the service while pretending to be church ushers, handing out flyers explaining why they would disrupt the service to entering the church. (laughs) 
plainclothes police officers who obviously were expecting trouble were saying also saying that he was wearing masks. So you had this mask going on, <laughs> and you had a lot of like act up activists at pretending to be ushers and handing out all this stuff. You had different protesters, and you also had plainclothes cops. Mm-hmm. So this is what's going on during during church and then yeah and then also you just had like people parishioners or whatever that were just there to you know enjoy the mass yes so the plan was to be it was pretty simple it was going to be a die-in oh which if you don't know i don't want to assume is basically you lay on the floor of a place and you, it's you did you pretending to be dead to emphasize especially the deadly ramifications of the church and the cardinal's views and his expression against same you know sex relationships and condoms and all that stuff right so that was the plan but the protest uh quickly descended into quote pandemonium <laughs> so while o'connor went on with the mass Activists stood up and announced that they were why they were protesting. O'Connor asked the worshippers to quote pay no attention to those who were disrupting the mass. One protester, Tom Keane, quote in a gesture large enough for all to see, desecrated the Eucharist by spitting it out of his mouth, crumbling it into pieces, and then dropping it on the floor. Oh my! He then laid on the floor of the church in an attempt to prevent others from receiving communion and was later arrested. <laughs> 111 protesters were arrested, including 43 inside the church. Wow. Some who had refused to move had to be carried out on church stretchers. <laughs> I don't know why weird. the church has stretchers. I don't know. I don't know. But I can't imagine why that's your favorite political act. Yes. <laughs> Only minor charges were filed against all of the protesters who were arrested, and basically the primary punishment was community service. Mm. Some protesters refused the sentences, but they didn't serve jail time. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, there was a lot of backlash because of this, mm-hmm. because we have to be respectable. And it was condemned by public and church officials, obviously, mainstream media, and some people in the gay community. <laughs> the mayor at the time, Edward Koch? Cock? I don't know. K O C H. I mean. I never know how to pronounce that. I don't know either. Anyway, the it's mayor fine. of New York. Cock. <laughs> Sorry. Publicly condemned the event. And, you know, and Hallow is disrespectful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your governor, Mario Cuomo, quote, deplored the demonstration. And you had the, a spokesman for the Coalition of Gay and Lesbian Rights calling it, quote, stupid and wrong-headed. <laughs> there was obviously a large divide in whether people thought this was a good idea or not. Right. There was a documentary made by Robert Hiltfrey about the protest, which was originally scheduled to air on PBS, but it was dropped from national broadcast, but still aired on public access television cable Hmm. in several major cities. 
Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco. So obviously there's this, and I think that anything with large and swift action and any activism, there's going to be a push and pull of whether people should do it or not do it. And especially when it comes to things like the Catholic Church, you're going to get a lot of pushback by doing something like that. Right. But because of the Catholic Church being so large and having it having it such be it be such a large mouthpiece, what they're saying and how they were acting were causing harm. Extreme harm. Yeah. So it's kind of I mean, these are are similar issues that we still continue to face. There's always a debate of, well, if we're just nice to them and we don't be too mean to those those poor Catholics, then maybe, gosh darn it, they'll change their minds. No. Maybe, you know, those those red hats will understand the error of their ways. No. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But there's still people who consistently... You know, go if you go too far, then you you lose people. I'm like, well, those people were never right. gained to be. There's no chance of gaining them anyway. Right. Enjoy being a doormat then, if that's what you want. If that's if you actually like think that not protesting the Catholic Church while not doing extreme action would have changed the church's stance on HIV and AIDS and they still don't support same-sex relationships, nor do they support anything about birth control. Right. And I'm sure there's been plenty of people who've been nice to them since then. There's been no protests like that. You had, you know, similar Stop the Church protests, but nothing to that level. So they've had decades to recover, and yet they're they're still just not nice. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) And soapbox. Mm. <laughs> so the last action I'm going to talk about, and again, there's so many, and I definitely recommend you doing your own research. But um, the last one I'm going to talk about is called the Day of Desperation. On January 22nd, 1991, during Operation Desert Storm, Act Up activist John Weir and two other activists entered the studio of CBS Evening News at the beginning of the broadcast. They shouted, AIDS is news, fight AIDS, not Arabs. Hmm. And Weir stepped in front of the camera before the control room cut to a commercial break. The same night they demonstrated at the studios of McNeil and Lear News Hour. They next day activists displayed banners in Grand Central Terminal that said money for AIDS, not for war. One of the banners was handheld and displayed across the train timetable and other attached to bundles of balloons that lifted up to the ceiling to the station's enormous main room. Because this was 1991. Right. So you had a decade at this point of over a decade. And it, it was still being as successful as those media days were, like, you still have so much ignorance and just plain, like, the media just filed ignoring it. Yep. So it's one of those things where, you know, you have to... They knew and 
it, it, it's so you have to metaphorically beat people over the heads with this stuff. You have to stand in front of a camera and be like, "Why are you spending money on a war, but you won't spend money on helping people not die in the United States?" Yes. You know they had one of the banners they had was one AIDS death every eight minutes. This was a genocide and was being widely ignored and this is one of the things that continue to force people to talk about it because everything that act up did was to force people to talk about aids in a way that no one was really wanting to talk about because it's uncomfortable no one wants to talk about it and also you have a lot of people use it as an excuse to be ignorant and behaveful towards uh, the the gay community because they could, yeah. And unless you you shoved this horror into people who like the faces of people who were sitting on the fence and nice happy little moderates and centrists, mm-hmm. and even the people on the other side of the fence, you know, you're supposed to afflict the comfortable. And comfort the afflicted, and that was very much apparent in what they did, because they hit, you know, Wall Street, they hit the stock exchange, they hit the church, you hit, you know, magazines and things that are supposed to be this nice, normal, everyday, the post office, people filing their taxes, it's as mundane as you can get. Right. You know, people going to work at the FDA. It's one of those things where they were very successful at agitating the norm and being able to continuously having to push it to the forefront of people's minds obviously had they had to keep doing it and keep doing it but it was one of those things where in four years like from 1987 to 1991 they did so many things like so many interesting powerful things that you know even the use of the right side up pink triangle that's still used in protest and gay activism today. And I think it's just very important that we kind of go back to that root and kind of understand and, you know, admire the political activism and the organization that, and the grassroots movement that that's a very hard thing to do effectively and they were able to do it effectively over and over again. Right. So it was really impressive. And I hope that as like you remembering this part of our history, it kind of just reinvigorates people and knowing that you know we have this in our our blood essentially, and we can protest and we do it well, and we kind of just need to keep afflicting and comfortable right so yeah, wow. that's act up that was a good one piece of act up there's a lot more yes but yes. yes. And that was just Act of New York. That was just New York. I didn't even go into you know, like what LA was doing or Philly was doing or San Francisco was doing. They right. all were doing similar things in their cities as well. Mm-hmm. But that that was the Act of New York. Yes. That's, that's a lot. It is a lot. But it's pretty cool. It is really cool. So yeah. I'm glad you learned something. Yeah, thanks, Mandy. Ooh, thanks, Amanda. <clears throat> yeah thanks Amanda <laughs> so that's our show if 
you have any ideas about what you think we should cover or talk about, you know, feel free to contact us at Queers Did That on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have a beautiful website made by Katie <laughs> where we have a little comment box. You can do that. There's a voice messaging thing on Anchor. You have to be a member of Anchor, but we'd love to hear your nice friendly voices as well. Did you mention Gmail? I didn't mess. No. We also have an email address. Queers did that at gmail.com. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Mm -hmm. So much technology. Until next time. Make gay history and make history gay. Bye. Bye. Pause for station identification.